Father God, thank you so much again for the opportunity to gather together with my brothers and sisters to worship you, to praise you, and to hear from your word as well. Father God, would you prepare our hearts to be good soil to receive your word. Till up the soil of our heart, remove rocks and thorns. God, make us good soil for your word to implant in us, to grow and bear a harvest of faith, a harvest of righteousness in each of us, that your word would shape and mold us to be the men and women of God you desire for us to be. Holy Spirit, help me to speak, help me to communicate, to preach and speak only what you want spoken and nothing else, God. Have your way, do what you please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can I tell you a true story? Yeah. My very first thought, my very first thought when someone first invited me to Chi Alpha as a student, we don't have to say how many years ago, my very first thought when someone invited me to Chi Alpha was, wow, I am never, ever going to that. Not ever. Here's the reason why. The person who invited me, the guy who invited me, his name's Nick. I had in my mind that this guy was a huge jerk, right? And I'm like, no, you know, I'm never, ever going to that. See, it was the summer, I graduated high school. It was the summer before I was going off to college. I went to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. I was planning to go there. Uh, and this guy, Nick, he heard that I was coming. And he, said, he came and said, hey, man, I heard you are coming to UT. When you come, you've got to check out this campus ministry, Chi Alpha. See, I got involved with it. In fact, I'm going to be a student leader. And, and you ought to come to this group. And, and again, I had a, a notion of this guy, right, that he was a huge jerk. And even a bully, uh, and he'd even like been hurtful to some people I cared about, and so my first thought was like, no, I'm never going to that. I'm never going to go to an organization that would have you as a leader. Like, forget about it. No way. Because um, this guy, I knew him, I knew the high school Nick, right, who was man, a bit of a jerk, a bit of a bully, man. He particularly would bully Christians. Like, if you were the if you were the Christian on campus, right, that, man, he caught you, like, saying grace, praying over your, your food and lunch before you, and he saw you with the Bible on your table, man, he would tear into you and make fun of you and tease you relentlessly. So, like, I didn't have a great opinion of this guy, right? I did not think much of him. So when he tells me, hey, you're coming to UT, you got to join this organization, you got to check out Chi Alpha, I was like, no way, that's not going to happen. Obviously, right, something, I, obviously I did go to Chi Alpha, right? You guys can, can figure that, that much out. Uh, not because of Nick's invitation, because of the, the pastor there, Chuck, um, and he pursued me relentlessly. He said, man, I want to get coffee with you, I want to get lunch with you, and he hounded me, and eventually I gave in. And then fast forward, we don't have to say how many years later, um, and, and uh, Jack and I have been, or uh, Pastor Nick Alpha here at Memphis. Uh, but I had an idea about Nick, right? That it's like, man, I don't like this dude. Uh, I mean, this guy's a big jerk. This guy's a bully. What I didn't realize is that during his freshman year of college, God had totally transformed his life, right? He did get involved in Kyle, but he plugged into man, a small group, a life group, right? He, he got involved. God worked on his heart, and he was a whole new person, right? The, the Nick that I knew in high school was not the Nick, right, that, that had just wrapped up his freshman year of college, that, that involved in Kyle, I mean, God had transformed his life, and he was a totally different dude. I didn't realize that. I had a preconceived notion, a preconceived perception of Nick that just wasn't accurate anymore, right? He, he was a totally new dude and ended up being a really good friend, and, and I was thankful, right, to get involved and get to know him better and get to know him and see him in that new light. But we do this sometimes, right? We misjudge people or we have a certain judgment of people that is not still accurate, right? And then something happens that totally changes our view of them, right? A situation or maybe you see them say something, do something, and you're like, oh man, I, maybe I misjudged them. Right here in a couple of weeks, the TV networks are going to start playing Christmas movies nonstop. Right? And one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. You guys have seen Home Alone, right? Kevin McAllister gets left home alone, right? His family goes out of town for the holidays. He's stuck at home. Uh, there, there's an interaction though between two characters, Kevin, and do you guys remember Kevin's neighbor? Tell me about Kevin's neighbor. The old lady. The old man. <laughs> the old, the old, the, 
He's the old man. What, what's going on with this old man? He looks creepy, right? So Kevin's got an idea. This guy's a creep. Uh, in fact, there's rumors going around that he's like a, a killer or something. It's wild, right? But but when he actually gets to meet him, like they talk in the church, it's like, oh, this is just some loving old grandpa, right? That just misses his grandkids. That's all this is. And they and not to spoil like a 30 plus year old movie, but he ends up saving him like at the end of the movie, right? Rescue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just just forget that part. Scratch that from the record. Anyway, Kevin had a wrong a wrong perception of this dude. He misjudged them. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Hopefully not left home alone on the holidays and had to fight off like criminals, but where you had a, a preconceived notion of somebody, a certain idea about somebody, and then something happens, and you're like, wow, man, I totally misjudged you. Man, I really misjudged you. I thought you were one way, but now I see you in an entirely new light. I was wrong about you, and now I have a much better understanding of who you are. Have you ever had that happen to you? In the passage of Scripture that we're looking at tonight, God reveals Himself in a way that entirely transforms our understanding of Him. And it sets Him apart as radically and completely different from all the gods and idols of the various man-made religions of the world. Right? God says, I want to reveal myself to you. I am different, completely different than anything that you're expecting. Last week we kicked off a brand new series. We're calling it Family Tree where we're looking at some of the major figures of the book of Genesis to see what we can learn uh, from their lives, uh, what God can teach us there. The Lord uses, man, this ark, this family uh, there in Genesis to set the stage for the rest of the Bible and also teach us some things about his own character. So Jackie kicked things off last week talking about who? Abraham. Abraham. So this guy, Abraham, man, you heard some of his story. I'm not going to recap it, right? You can go and listen to it on the Kalfa podcast if you missed it last week uh, and, and hear about Abraham's story. But God made a promise to Abraham, a covenant with him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and make your descendants like the stars and the skies, too many to count. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He made this promise. He made this covenant with Abraham. I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants, right? And so, man, Jackie followed Abraham's life. Man, Abraham goes through some different situations. Man, there's some odd stuff. There's some weird stuff um, and some weird family dynamics and relationships. Um, and some things we learned, man, as Jackie was teaching last week, is that God blesses us to make us a blessing to others, right? God blesses us because He loves us, but it's not just for us, right? It's also so we can be a blessing to others. Jackie told us that we're made right with God like Abraham through faith alone. It's not about the good works we do. It's not what we can do to earn God's love. We're made right with God by faith alone, specifically faith in Jesus. And then finally, God always does what He promises. He always does what He promises, and He doesn't need our help to accomplish those promises, right? That's what Abraham got tripped up, right? He tried to help God. He's like, God, you promised me my descendants would be, well, anyway, there's going to be a bunch of them, and I'm old, and I've got zero, right? So he's like, maybe, God, you need me to help you along. Um, and so, so he ends up sleeping with, with one of his servants and gets her pregnant. Again, it's a, it's a messy story, right? It's a messy family tree. And so as we read about Abraham, you read about Abraham's children, it's like, these are not perfect people. These are imperfect people. In fact, that's one of the reasons I so love the Bible, right? Because if it was a, a fantasy, a man-made myth, these heroic figures, right, you, you would see all the good stuff. 
But what I love about the Bible and how I know that it's true, one of the reasons is that it includes the flaws, the failures. I mean, all the times that they totally stumbled, they totally messed up, and that's, that's in here as well. Uh, so yeah, Abraham, he tries to take matters into his own hands. He creates a messy uh, family tree. Um, and again, if you, if you missed last week's message with Jackie, it was fantastic. You can listen to it on the podcast. Uh, Abraham's family tree is a messy family tree. Somebody say messy. It's a messy family tree, but this is also the family tree of Jesus. Matthew's gospel begins by telling us so. Matthew 1, verse 1 says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So Matthew tells us at the very start of his gospel, say, hey, I want you to know Jesus was from this messy family tree, right? This family tree that started with Abraham, passed down, descendant, descendant, descendant. It's led all the way to Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. So this is Jesus's family tree. And for those of us that have been adopted into the family of God because we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, we've been adopted as sons and daughters. It's Jesus' family tree. It's also your family tree as well. It's your family tree as well. Some of you sang a song when you were kids. It said, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. Right hand, left hand, turn around. Yeah, I'm one of them. And you're one of them. His many sons. Many sons and daughters. So... If you put your trust in Jesus, you are adopted into the family of God. This is also your family tree. It's a messy family tree, right? And we're going to read about that. It's a messy family tree, but it's our family tree. It's Jesus' family tree. So we're going to continue looking at this family tonight. Last week, Jackie taught us about the Lord's promise to bless the entire world through this one man, this one family, Abraham. But the reality was that Abraham was almost 100 years old, and he still didn't have any children yet with his wife, Sarah. So we're going to pick up tonight with the beginning of God's fulfillment to this promise to Abraham with the story of his son, Isaac. Somebody say Isaac. Isaac. We're going to learn about Isaac tonight. So from Isaac's life, we're going to learn some amazing things about God's character that's going to set the stage for the rest of the Bible. And it's going to be foundational for our relationship with God as well. So let's do a quick overview on the life of Isaac. Isaac's story begins... In Genesis chapter 18, when Sarah overhears the Lord tell Abraham that this time next year, she's going to give birth to a son, right? Sarah hears this, and she is thinking, man, I'm way too old to have children, so she she laughs. The Lord asks her why she laughs, uh, and he says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? She laughs because she's like, I don't know, I'm kind of old. God, I'm kind of old to, to be having kids. Uh, again, they're, they're up there up there in age. Abraham's almost 100. Um, and Sarah, Sarah's right behind them. So, I'm too old for that. And so she laughs, honestly, at the idea. You guys ever heard something so far-fetched, so out there, that you couldn't even help yourself? <laughs> like, you, you just laugh, even though it's wildly inappropriate for you to laugh in that moment, right? The angel of the Lord is there, like, giving a, um, and giving a word from God, and, and that's not the right moment. It may, it may laugh in inappropriate moments. So Sarah laughs, and the Lord's like, Sarah, why are you laughing? He calls her out on it, right? Sometimes it would be, be kind of nice if God could just pretend you didn't hear that. He calls her out, but he also says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want to ask you guys that same question. Is anything too hard for God? Anything? The same God that created the entire universe, the planet Earth, all life on Earth created you, knitted you together, every molecule, every cell in your mother's womb has your entire life planned out before the first day began. Is anything too hard or too difficult for Him? It's not. 
It's not. So I want, to think, I want you guys to think about tonight, man, some of the situations in your life that seem impossible, that seem too difficult. And remember, nothing's too hard for the Lord. Man, this echoes again a couple times in the New Testament as well. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. And elsewhere, all things are possible for those that believe. Nothing's too hard for God. So fast forward a little bit. In Genesis 21, Sarah gives birth to a son, just as the Lord had promised. Abraham names the boy Isaac, which means laughter, or he laughs. Abraham is now 100 years old, right? So this boy's name, Isaac, Isaac just means laughter, just means laughs. That's a joyful name, right? When Isaac is still young, the Lord tests Abraham, and that test is going to be the main focus of our message tonight. But we're going to keep going with a quick overview of the rest of Isaac's life before we dive deeper into that. So a little bit later in Isaac's life, Abraham sends a servant back to his homeland to find a wife. Find a wife for Isaac, and he brings back Rebekah, and the two are married. Sarah dies, and a little bit later, Abraham dies as well. Isaac buries them, and Isaac's wife, Rebekah, then becomes pregnant with twins. Two boys, Esau and Jacob. There's a famine in the land that causes Isaac and his family to have to move to the land of the Philistines. And then there's this weird episode there where Isaac lies about Rebekah and says, no, it's not my wife, it's actually my, my sister, so the Philistines don't kill him. Remember, I said it's a messy family tree, there's some awkward moments. His dad, Abraham, did the same thing. I don't know, it's strange, it's weird. Remember, it's a messy family tree full of imperfect people. Then in Genesis 26, the Lord reaffirms to Isaac the same promise that he made to his father Abraham. This is verse 4, Genesis 26, 4. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And there it is again. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through his descendants. We know one of the ways all the nations are going to be blessed is because one of his descendants is Jesus, right? God had a plan, and before the foundation of the world, that one day he was going to send Jesus, and this is the family he picked to do it. He says, all the nations are going to be blessed through you for a lot of reasons, but, but chief among them is that through you is going to come the Messiah, the Savior that's going to rescue people from their sins. So God promises, I'm going to bless you. Just like I promised your dad, I'm going to bless you. And Isaac is blessed. He becomes so wealthy and powerful that the king of the Philistines says, bro, you got to leave. He asked him to leave. Can you get out of my kingdom? Can you go on somewhere? You're, you're kind of intimidating me now. You're getting so wealthy and powerful. So he and his family moved to the valley region. There in the valley, we see Isaac begin to redig some wells that his father's Servants had dug a generation before, but these are wells that the Philistines had then refilled with dirt. So he's like, man, I'm going I'm to redig them up again. Um, there's some spiritual symbolism right in the Bible when we read about wells. If you remember a few weeks ago, I preached about the image from Jeremiah, that fountain of living water uh, that God wants us to come to and drink deeply. And instead, we tend to go dig our own wells that don't actually hold any water and trying to find satisfaction to other things. We don't have time to get into it, but there's symbolism there, right? And redigging wells that have been filled in and things that, that, that once used to connect us to life, connect us to God, but they've been filled in by other things. Redigging those again and redigging those pathways. Maybe you're parents were godly. Maybe you have a godly grandparent uh, and they dug a path for your family that's since been filled in and you're the one to step in. And I'm going to redig that. I'm going to redig that again. Isaac eventually settles in the region of Beersheba and the Philistines make an oath of peace with him. Again, he's grown so big and so powerful. The Philistines are like, we need you as an ally. Like, we don't want to be on the other side of you. Can we make an oath of peace? And then we get to Genesis 27. Isaac is now an old man and can no longer see. 
He wishes to bless his sons before he dies, particularly his oldest son, Esau. There's some favoritism happening here, right? Um, and there's some stuff there that's like, man, this is gross. And, and again, we said it's a messy family, right? So he wants to bless his oldest son, Esau. And there's another weird and messy episode where his wife and his youngest son plot to deceive him, to trick him uh, so that Jacob can get the blessing instead of Esau. And they do that. They trick him. And then Esau is furious and Jacob has to flee, run away to escape his wrath. So even though Isaac thought he was near death, right? That's why he wanted to bless his sons, because he thought he was about to die. Apparently, he lived many more years after this. And he's eventually buried by his sons years later, after Jacob and Esau have reconciled, after they've had many children themselves, uh, and, and after his grandsons have been born, whose descendants would be the 12 tribes that would one day form the nation of Israel. So throughout the Bible... As you read throughout the Bible, man, Old Testament, New Testament, you'll hear reference again and again to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again and again, you'll hear, oh, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Isaac's story, the second step in that family tree that would one day lead to the birth of Jesus. And the main episode in the life of Isaac that we're going to focus on tonight, which is going to help us understand the character of God and set the stage for the rest of Scripture, is going to be in Genesis 22. So if you have your Bible, want to turn to Genesis 22. The verses are going to be up on the screen as well. If you're following along in the Bible app, it's going to be there. If your neighbor has a Bible, they probably won't mind you looking on with them. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to, or 22, Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. This is when Isaac is still young, and the Lord tests his father Abraham. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. I want to make it clear right here at the beginning that it is never God's intention for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Notice it says this is a test, a test of his faith. The God of the Bible at no point demands human sacrifice, but he's setting up a clear object lesson to both test Abraham's faith and reveal something about God's own character in a way that's going to foreshadow things for the rest of Scripture. Okay, so God is testing Abraham at no point. Does God want child sacrifice? Is that clear? This is a test. This is only a test. Verse 3, The next morning Abraham got up early, and he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. Verse 4, On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther, and we'll worship there, and then we will come right back. So, paint the picture. Abraham is traveling here with his son Isaac and two servants. And they've got wood, and they've got the fire, and I guess God had given them a vision of a certain mountain, a certain place he was going to. And so they they walk for a few days, and when he spots it, he says, Okay, servants, stay here. My son and I are going to go up, and we're going to worship on that mountain. And we're going to come back. Simple, right? Easy. Right here in uh, this verse, verse 5, is the first mention of the word worship in the entire Bible. This is the first time we get the Hebrew word that translates in English to worship. It means literally to bow down or to bow down and worship. And I want you guys to catch this. The first usage of the word worship in the Bible is tied intimately to the idea of a costly sacrifice 
of what's most dear to us. When we think about worship, I think we miss that sometimes, right? We think about worship and we think about you know, singing songs. We think about maybe music. There may be other elements we think about. Um, but man, intimately tied to this idea of worship is a costly sacrifice. A costly sacrifice. I mean, what are we giving up to draw closer to God? It should cost us something, right? And I think we, we miss out on that sometimes. Right? Sometimes, man, just getting up and going to church or coming to Calf or making yourself worship is costly because you don't feel like doing it, right? We're talking about a sacrifice of praise. That's what it is. God, you're worthy. That's why I'm giving you praise. Emotionally, I don't feel like it is. It's costing me something. It may cost you time. It may cost you money. It may cost you man, giving up something that, that was dear to you, that God's saying, no, I want you to set this aside for me. Uh, but, but worship is something that's costly for us, right? It's sacrificial, uh, and it's important to us to get that, right? Deep down in our concept of worship, God may be wanting to expand what we think about when we think about what it means to worship Him. Also notice something else that Abraham says here. He says, uh, the boy and I are going to go worship here, and then we will come right back. Who's going to come right back? We, right? Not I'm going to come right back because I'm going to sacrifice him. No, he says we will come right back. We're going to come right back. Abraham is confident in this, that even though uh, God's told him to go and sacrifice his son Isaac, God is so, or Abraham is so confident that God is going to keep his promise. So, God, you, you promised. You're going to make my descendants like the stars of the sky. This son, Isaac, man, you gave him to me, even though I'm incredibly old. Like, I trust you. And so I know you're telling me to sacrifice him. I don't know exactly how that works. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says that, that, that Abraham had confidence that even if it meant resurrection, or maybe I sacrifice him and you raise him back to life. I don't know. I'm going to obey you, God. But he says, we are going to come right back. Right? He, he believed that Isaac was going to return with him. Let's continue in verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Hey, Dad. So, Father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. So we have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where's the sheep for the burnt offering? He's like, Hey, Dad, I'm noticing something, right? We've got some of the elements we need, but we don't have all the elements we need. It says, he says he uses the word boy. Man, we're not sure how old Isaac is uh, in this moment, right? I've seen him portrayed as a young boy. Man, I've seen some people say they think he's maybe late teens, early 20s. I mean, old enough to carry all the wood, right, for, for the, the offering. So probably closer to my son Thomas's age than Kendrick's age, uh, right? So, so maybe late teens, uh, early 20s. Um, but still young, right? Still young enough to be referred to as boy. So imagine this whole scene from Isaac's perspective, right? This is Isaac's story, right? So you're Isaac. You're carrying this wood. Dad's got the fire. He's got a knife, a sharp one. But there's no animal, right? Where, where's the sheep, the goat, the ram? Like, I know we're going to go up and burn an animal. I'm not seeing that, right? And what was that like from Isaac's perspective? What, what's Isaac beginning to clue in to like, man, something different is happening here? Right? Something different than I'm uh, expecting? Maybe even beginning to wonder, is it me? Am I the sacrifice? Right? There was a video was circulating a week or two ago. Some of you may have seen it. It was uh, Tyler Perry was speaking at a church. And this was his like focus verse. It was, was talking about Isaac wondering, am I the sacrifice? And the situations in our life, right, that, 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 are, that are crumbling, that are falling apart, that, that are just like, man, stuff's not working out. And you wonder, uh, man, God, is it, am I the one being sacrificed here? And, and the, the real encouragement from Scripture is, no, you're not the sacrifice, right? You're not the sacrifice. God, God's going to provide another way out. But to imagine being in that situation and, and what it would be like to be Isaac and start to wonder, okay, Dad, I don't, I don't see the sheep. What are we doing here? 
This is how Abraham answers, verse 8. And this is a faith-filled answer. He says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Verse 9, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. So the writer of Genesis tells us here, it's the angel of the Lord that speaks to, that speaks to Abraham here. The angel of the Lord is important. So when you read in the Old Testament and you read that specific wording, the angel of the Lord, not an angel, or, and sometimes it'll give a name to the angel, but the angel of the Lord. And this is a manifestation of God himself. It's God himself speaking. And that's why you know, the, the pronouns make sense there for him to say, you did not, you did not withhold him uh, from me. Do not withhold your only son from me. Uh, this is God, man, speaking, speaking there to Abraham. It says in verse 13, Then Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught by the thorns over in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yerah, which means the Lord will provide. You may be familiar with the Greek transliteration of that Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Uh, we sing a song in here sometimes on Wednesday nights called Jireh. Um, to this day, people still use that name, Jehovah Jireh, as a proverb, right? To this day, you still hear people talk about Jehovah Jireh. On this mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is one of the names of God. This again going to echo through the rest of Scripture, and this is where we hear it. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yerah, the, the Lord who provides. The Lord who provides. Again, different from every other God that Abraham would have been familiar with that demanded something from them. This is the God that provides for us. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. Verse 18, And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you obeyed me. All because you obeyed me. There's some things in this story. Again, if you've got any kind of familiarity with the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, that start to sound familiar, right? There's a sacrifice happening of an only son. Uh, and, and so uh, all of this is foreshadowing what would one day happen with Jesus. In fact, man, as you read in the Old Testament, all of the Bible is pointing to the coming of the Messiah. All the Bible is pointing to Jesus. So that you're going to see all these little echoes, all this little foreshadowing. And that's why, man, this passage here, Genesis 22, is so important for us understanding God's character and understanding what he planned to do with his own son. Right? He tested Abraham by saying, Abraham, I'm testing you. I'm asking you to sacrifice your son, never intending that Isaac was going to die. But this was going to be a foreshadowing of the day that God would sacrifice his own son and say, hey, I'm going to provide a way out for you. He provided a ram stuck in the thicket to save Isaac's life. One day he would provide his own son, Jesus, 
to save my life and to save your life. Right? When it was us on the altar, right, because of our sins, man, the Bible teaches us plainly that the wages of sin is death. That man, all of our all of our wrongdoing, our rebellion against God, um, and there's a costly consequence to that. It's our spiritual death and separation from God. Uh, and God loved you too much to leave you that way. So He had a plan from the beginning. One day I'm going to send my Son. He's going to die on a cross, and He's going to take the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve for all my sin. He's going to take it on Himself instead. Die in our place, like the ram did for Isaac. He's going to die in our place. So instead of receiving God's wrath and consequences and punishment for all we've done wrong, we receive grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. And we put our trust in Jesus, what He did on the cross. Make Jesus our Lord and Savior. God adopts us into the family of God. We get to be part of this messy family tree. You get adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters forever. When this life on earth is over, we have an eternity forever in heaven with God because of what Jesus did. Right? So, so Isaac wasn't sacrificed, right? God, God spared him. God provided another way. But Jesus was sacrificed for our sake. And so by the end of this story, we have an entirely new picture of God, an entirely new understanding of his nature and his character. Abraham would have been familiar with the gods and the idols of the neighboring lands that demanded bloodshed and child sacrifice for their appeasement. But the God of Abraham, the God of the Bible, says, I am not like that. I'm the God who provides. I'm the God who rescues and saves. I'm the God who provides a way out. God says, you've misjudged me. Right? We talked in the beginning about sometimes we misjudge people. An event will happen. It's like, you are totally different than the way that I thought. And the, the ways that the gods and the idols of the surrounding regions, the way they worship their gods, and these would be violent gods that, that demanded sacrifice and even child sacrifice. God says, I want to be so, so clear. I'm not that way. I'm the God that loves you. I'm the God that provides a way out. I'm the God that saves you, that rescues you. I want you to have an entirely different picture of me. And again, this is going to set the tone for the rest of Scripture. That God's the God who saves. God's the God that provides. God's the God that nothing is impossible for Him. And there's no links He won't go to, right, to save you, to rescue you, to make you His own. Even giving up His own Son, right? Even giving up His own Son. Because He loves us. Last verse we'll look at. This is Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 17 through 19. This is the writer of Hebrews kind of recapping uh, this passage that we looked at. He says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I mean, Abraham was ready to obey. It was just a test, but Abraham was ready to obey, right? He had the knife in hand. He's like, God, this don't make any sense, but I'm going to obey. He was already in his mind, like, okay, I guess, I guess Isaac's going to die. Maybe you're going to raise him back to life. Of course, that didn't happen, right? Because Isaac didn't need to die. But there would be a resurrection, that this is foreshadowing, right? Uh, there would be a day where a son did have to die, again, for your sake and my sake. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. He appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses before ascending uh, to heaven, proving that he was who he says he was. Man, the Messiah, the Son of God, when he, he promises us eternal life, and we can put our trust in him, because he conquered death. He conquered the grave. He did raise Abraham did not have to sacrifice his only son. 
But this becomes a foreshadowing of the day that God would one day sacrifice his one and only son for us. Amen? This is the story of Isaac, right? This is the story of the family tree. This is the next step in the ladder. Right? The story is going to continue right, with, with, uh, with, with Isaac's son Jacob, right? And that messy story, we're going to continue with that uh, next week. But man, what does God want us to learn here from Isaac, right? There's some powerful stuff here. Some stuff for us to think about, for some stuff for us to respond to in prayer. Jackie, would you mind to come back to the piano? I think God really does want us to get deep down inside a, a bigger revelation from Him. And a big part of what this passage is in your Bible for is for revelation, to increase your view of God. Some of our pictures of God are just too small. right? Our images of God are just too small. They're too small or they're colored by things we've heard about God that just aren't true. Right? Things people have told us about God, maybe things we've absorbed from the culture that are just not true of God. And God says, man, no, I want you to have the, the true and accurate picture of me. I want to expand your vision of me. I want to reveal myself to you and who I really am. And that's what God wants to do in some of you guys tonight. Just expand your view of him. Say, no, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm the God who loves. I'm the God who saves. I'm the God who provides. I'm the God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. I'm the God that's going to go through any length to save you, to rescue you, to make you my own. The God that loved us too much to leave us lost in sin and separated from Him. For some of you guys, God's wanting to expand, to shift your view of Him. For some of you guys, what God spoke to Isaac's mom, Sarah, when she, when she laughed, that, man, nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's impossible with God. Some of us need to get that deep down in our spirit. That maybe you've got a situation that on the face, man, seems, man, this is absolutely impossible. Like, there's nothing, nothing I can do. Nothing anybody can do. This is impossible, except for a miracle from God. Man, it's not going to happen. Is there something in your life that seems impossible that you need God's help with? Now, let's bring it to Him tonight. Nothing's too hard for Him. Nothing's too difficult for Him. I want to trust Him with it tonight. Other thing I want us to be able to respond to in prayer, is there something in our life the Lord may be asking us to give up? So again, this was a test. Abraham wasn't literally sacrificing Isaac. But there are things God's going to ask you to sacrifice. Things He's going to ask you to give up. Things that are part of your present that He does not want to be part of your future. And He's going to say, Matt, this has to go. And it may be something very dear to us. It's like, God, ah, it's hard to give up. Right? But He may ask you to give it up. He may ask you to set it aside, to lay it down. Maybe it's a relationship. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, a hope, a, a dream. Maybe, it, maybe it's something, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit will just gently lay his finger on it tonight. It's something that God may want you to lay down, something you may, he may want you to give up for him so that you can draw closer to him. And it, however dear that thing is, I got to tell you, being closer to God is more dear. I mean, however wonderful that thing is, being close to God is better. And it's going to be worth it. But let's process that with the Lord. What's something God may be asking us to give up to draw closer to Him? And yeah, finally, how's the Lord wanting you to shift your view of Him? Right? God, have I put you in a box that's way too small for you? Have I attached things to you that just aren't true? Maybe things the world said, things other people have told me. Maybe things the Christians just have modeled that are just not right. And God, God give, me a, give me a fresh revelation of you, an accurate view of you. Expand my view of you, God. Would you guys stand with me as we pray? Let's just take some time bringing these things to the Lord. Bringing these things to God.
praise you, God. Praise you, God. God, thank you for the example of Abraham and Isaac. God, thank you that the story is in the Bible, God, that we can learn from it. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for doing for us what we can never, ever do for ourselves, God. Thank you for not sparing even your own son and offering him up to save us, God. That we're not the sacrifice. That Jesus has already been sacrificed for us. That we just need to put our trust, our confidence in what he did on the cross to make us right with you. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. In this moment, just lock in with the Lord. It doesn't matter who's standing next to you or what else is going on or the paper you've got to write later tonight. In this moment, just lock in on Jesus, lock in on the Lord, and process these things with Him. Ask Him these questions. God, is there something in my life that just seems impossible that I really need your help with? Invite God into that situation in this moment. God, you see, God, there's situations that people have that seem absolutely impossible. There's financial situations, God, that we need a miracle. There's situations in our family and relationships, God, that we are way too big for us, God. We, only you can handle them, Lord. There may be a situation with school or our grades or financial aid or our career path. God, we need a miracle. This is impossible for us. God, would you step into this situation? Because we know it's not impossible for you. Nothing's too hard for you. Nothing's too difficult for you, God. And we affirm that we believe that. Increase our faith. Increase our ability to trust you for the big things, for the impossible things, God. God, we need you. God, is there something you may be asking us to give up? Something in our life, God, that that we know doesn't need to be there. Maybe it's a sin, a temptation struggle, God, that we've been messing around with. Holy Spirit, help us to kick that thing to the curb, to be done with it, to be rid rid of it, God. Holy Spirit, help us by your grace to surrender that to you and just be done with it tonight, to lay it down and never pick it up again, God. God, maybe it's not a sin struggle. Maybe it's a perfectly fine thing on the surface. It's just not your best for us and you're asking us to give it up so we can draw closer to you. Maybe it's taking up too much space uh, in our time, too much space in our heart, our mind, our affections. We think about it too much. It's become an idol for us, God. It's something that is in our present that doesn't need to be in our future. God, help us to surrender that to you. 